Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. At booksandnachos.com, you can find over 100 reviews, from fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. There's also links to our forums, our Facebook and Twitter pages, and information about our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. At booksandnachos.com, we're here to find you something great to read. Hello, Books and Nachos listeners. It's been far too long. This is Arnie, your host for this episode, and I'm here to talk to you about The Dark Tower, The Art of the Film. Later in this show, I'm going to be talking with the book's author, Daniel Wallace. Stay tuned for that as well. I do feel like I owe you, our constant Stephen King listeners, an explanation as to where I've disappeared to. Much like characters in the Dark Tower film, you might think that I've walked through some floating doorway and off into alternate realities. Yes, I'm still hosting Now Playing Podcast, as well as the Twin Peaks show Now Peaking Podcast, and trying to keep up with my toy collecting shows, Star Wars Action News, and Marvelicious Toys, but I haven't been around books and nachos very much, and the reason for that I feel is owed to you. Stephen King is a very prolific author, and I find his prose to be really rich and worthy of exploration. And I've been wanting to return to my reviews of his novels. My next one, which I am about halfway done with, is Firestarter. But between doing the shows we're doing, the podcasts, as well as putting the finishing touches on the book Underrated Movies We Recommend, Stuart, Marjorie, Jacob, and I writing reviews of 125 underloved or underappreciated movies, which you can still pre-order at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, I hadn't had a whole lot of time to give the King prose the analysis it deserved. Over the summer, I had to make a choice. I could have gone back and finished Firestarter and probably Roadwork and Cujo as well, but there was something a little bit more pressing. Stephen King's film adaptation of The Dark Tower loomed in the distance. I wasn't sure exactly how solid its release date was going to be. I've heard of movie adaptations of The Dark Tower for a very long time. I've had some great off-the-record conversations with somebody who actually worked with Ron Howard and Akiva Goldsman on their massive Dark Tower strategy and hashing out the story. And the Dark Tower film was supposed to come out very early this year. Its release date got pushed into August. And so I hadn't taken the film seriously due to all of the -the behind-the-scenes delays. But come spring, I realized that movie was going to come out, and I'd never read a Stephen King Dark Tower book. If you're not familiar with his Dark Tower saga, it is what is repeatedly, infinitely, everywhere called Stephen King's magnum opus. It spans eight novels, plus a number of comic books that King produced, written by Peter David, an author I greatly enjoy, plus the King novel The Eyes of the Dragon, and really ties together so many aspects of King's universe of books, and I'd never read a one of them. I tried to read The Gunslinger when I was a kid, and I couldn't get into it. And so I made the choice to finally read all of King's Dark Tower novels over the summer instead of keep up with my own King reviews. And I'm glad I did. You can hear our reviews of the movie The Dark Tower 
and how the books influence that movie. It's up now at nowplayingpodcast.com. Stuart Jacob and I did a spoiler-filled in-depth review of that movie. And again, I'm really glad to have explored that aspect of King's universe. It was one that was, I felt, a glaring omission and one that I kept putting off. And now when I return to those King reviews, I'll be able to deal with the Dark Tower books in their order of publication, having read them instead of my original plan, which was actually a stalling tactic, to do them all when the eighth book came out in timeline. But also in prepping for that movie review, I did quite a bit of other research. I wanted to know as much as I could of the making of this film, and I'd done a lot of online research... I'd read a number of interviews with Ron Howard, Akiva Goldsman, both of whom were producers. Akiva is also one of the four credited screenwriters, Nicolaj Arcel, the director. But I felt like the behind-the-scenes information was kind of lacking, and it was focused very much on the film's two stars, Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. And so when Amazon told me there was the book The Dark Tower, The Art of the Film, I decided to pick it up. I wanted to know as much as I could about the making of this film, and I wanted to see more of the iconography. King's eight novels are so visual and so descriptive with his prose that he creates a world. I didn't feel like the trailers and the promotional art were doing a whole lot of justice to that aspect. For a number of reasons for the Now Playing Review, I wanted to see some other concept art. I wanted to see things that didn't focus so much on the stars and focused more on the world and the mythology and the tower itself. And so I did pick up the art of the film. I had no intention of doing a book review on it. I figured it's an art of book. I knew there'd be some behind-the-scenes information in it, but I didn't take it too seriously. And let me give you my personal history with art of books, because I think this is one that a lot of people may mirror. When I think of an art of book, I picture a book that is full of concept art, sketches, rough ideas, rejected ideas for creature designs, costume designs, scenery. A lot of the pre-production and production materials put together with some publicity photos in what is basically a picture book. And my reason for thinking that, I really got thinking, the first art of books I ever purchased, I got in 1993, and there were three of them. The Art of Star Wars, The Art of the Empire Strikes Back, and The Art of Return of the Jedi. And those were pretty much what I described to you. They were picture books. There was some prose in them describing stop-motion animation techniques and some special effects development. But by and large, it was concept art, a lot of gorgeous Ralph McQuarrie art, showing early designs of aliens and Imperial Walkers and Darth Vader and all the characters. And I got those, and I just kind of flipped through them. I read some of the prose, I looked at the pictures, and I thought... This is a nice collectible. I didn't consider it much of a must-read, but as a Star Wars fan, possibly a Star Wars fanatic, even in 93, these books were must-haves that I put on my shelf with pride. I think it really enhanced my view of being a Macquarie fan to see all of that art. I think back in 93, that was my first real exposure to that artist, and his specific influence over the Star Wars universe. 
But having those as my early books really did shape my view of all art of books, and lately there's been an explosion of them. Of course, the new Star Wars movies have art of books, art of Rogue One, art of The Force Awakens, art of The Last Jedi is shipping soon. I've picked all of those up, and I've been picking up the art of Marvel Studios books. And these are gorgeous coffee table books that have a lot of production art from the Marvel films. They've done one for every Marvel movie since the original Iron Man back in 2008, I got into them around the time of Avengers when they released a box set of hardcover books, The Art of Marvel Studios, which I've now seen that box set as cheap as $70 on Amazon in hardcover. It's a gorgeous set, but I'll admit, I was buying these not as a reader, I was buying these as a collector. Because I bought those, though, I was made aware of so many other art of books. It's become a cottage industry. And because Amazon gives a lot of, because you bought the art of Iron Man, would you like Wonder Woman, the art and making of the film, Mad Max Fury Road, the art of, the art and making of Alien Covenant, art of the film, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the art and making of Independence Day Resurgence, Sucker Punch, the art of the film by Zack Snyder, and of course, such must-haves in my life as the Art of My Little Pony the Movie, and Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, The Art of the Film. And they're not just doing it for current movies, though it feels like every big-budget major motion picture is getting one now. I've now seen The Art of the Dark Knight trilogy, Aliens, the set photography behind the scenes of James Cameron's film, and a lot more older films that still have that same kind of popularity. But again, I didn't read these books. I viewed them as collectibles, a way of exploring a fandom for a film, like a bonus feature. But these are not inexpensive books. These are gorgeously printed books, one and all, with cover prices ranging from $35 to $70. Dark Tower, The Art of the Film, has a cover price of $40, but I picked it up, and this is truthfully the first art of book that I read. I was a bit surprised by how much I did like it. It fulfilled several expectations I had. There's a lot of gorgeous concept art drawings here, stuff that never really made it into the film. A lot of the Roland versus the Crimson King and views of the tower itself. And, as expected, there's a lot of evolution drawings as we get to see how some of the beasts and monsters in the film went through various stages. There's also a lot of behind-the-scenes photography, getting to see the physical makeup put on the actors, or behind the scenes of the shooting locations as they set up the rigs. The book's a bit over 200 pages, and almost every single one of them has a really gorgeously printed piece of art or photograph, some of which are nice. They look like publicity stills of cool photos of Idris Elba or Matthew McConaughey, and a lot of stuff you just won't see anywhere else from the making of the film. But what really surprised me is how much I got into the text. When I picked up the book, I was a little bit shocked. I saw it was written by Daniel Wallace, and I happen to know a Daniel Wallace. Interviewed him several times about 
Star Wars books he'd written, like The Jedi Path and The Book of Sith, some really deluxe sets he'd done, as well as universe books like Star Wars The Essential Atlas that he co-wrote with Jason Fry. And I had other books of his, such as The Art of Rocksteady's Batman, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight. The Marvel Encyclopedia, the definitive guide to the characters of the Marvel Universe. Plus several more Star Wars role-playing games and character guides, essential guide to droids. He'd written a whole lot of those, but also some non-Star Wars books that I really enjoyed of his. And the Iron Manual, kind of a Iron Man behind-the-scenes look. So I reached out to Daniel to say, Hey, are you the Daniel Wallace who wrote this Art Of book? Because I was shocked how much the prose was not about the art, but was about the film. There was quite a bit about the art, as you might expect, but this had interviews with the director, the writer, Ron Howard, so many people involved with the making of the film. It discussed deleted scenes, and so I was wondering... How up to the wire was this? There were several instances of in a scene not featured in the final film. I know from my own experience how long it takes to get a book from an electronic format into a physical hardcover format. And because of digital distribution, they're making changes to films often up to the week of release. And so to have all of this information in this book provided some great insight. It talked about filming locations. It talked about character motivations. And really, this was a great insight that helped inform my viewing and my reviewing of the movie The Dark Tower. And so I had a lot of questions. I wanted to know more about this Art Of book. I wanted to know more about how the behind-the-scenes information came to be. And so I asked Dan if he'd be willing to join me to talk about this book, and he is joining us now. Welcome, Dan, and thanks for coming on Books and Nachos. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's really nice to be here. Thank you. It's uh, straight feels strange to be talking about something other than Star Wars. I know. We've hung out at a couple of the Star Wars breakfasts at San Diego Comic-Con, but I knew you've done a lot of other books I've been interested in, some Marvel comics-based books, but then I saw you were the one who wrote the text in The Dark Tower Art of the Film, and I want to just say I greatly enjoyed this book. I think it gave a lot of insight into the movie. You know, I've seen the movie, of course, and I, the book answered a lot of questions I had. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, thank you. So how did you get involved with that project? Well, this is a book. It's published by uh, publishers Melcher Media. They've done some really amazing books. They were the ones who did the, if you've ever uh, seen the um, Hamilton musical, they did the official tie-in book for that. And they've done a lot of really beautiful books. And I feel like this one is reproduced really well. I mean, you obviously have the book, but if listeners haven't seen it, the uh, the cover is really nice. It doesn't have the traditional dust jacket sort of thing. It has this, uh, yeah, what would you describe it? It's sort of this uh, very tactile uh, feel of the cover in that it's a it's a hardcover art book but it's just reproduced really well it's it's very well put together and they had contacted me last fall because um i think they had been recommended to me from somebody else or something like that but like you said i've done more than just star wars i've done warcraft and uh ghostbusters and and marvel comics and dc comics and a lot of other things so anyway they said, hey, what do you think about Stephen King? And I'm like, I love Stephen King. You know, he, I grew up with Stephen King. And they said, have you ever read The Dark Tower? I said, absolutely, I have. And they said, well, they're doing the movie. Uh, would you like to work on it? And I said, absolutely. And so um, <laughs> put my name into the hat. 
they said that, uh, which was really exciting. This was actually a fun bit. And this was last fall, but they said, okay, we'll put your name into the hat and, um, we'll, uh, you have to also give me what they asked. The publisher asked me basically to put together a little bio along describing myself and the books that I've written because they were going to pass it along to Stephen King <laughs> so he could approve it because, you know, he approves all this stuff. And so I was like, oh, this is exciting. So I did the <laughs> thing. I never actually talked to Stephen King on this. Um, we actually, um, I had reached out to him a number of times, but we, we couldn't. We basically focused on the movie and the film, and I talked to basically everybody associated with the film. But there was that very early on bit where it was like, "Ooh, I, I'm going to be vetted by basically my my literary uh, muse uh, from the time I was God. I think I read the first Stephen King book when I was maybe ten years old, but uh, which was very exciting. So I mean, I was I was really jazzed about that. That is awesome. And yeah, so what were your thoughts and memories of the Dark Tower when you got this? You said you'd read them before. Had you read all of them? Uh, yeah, I had. And I mean, it's one of those series where, um, you know, it's all over the place. So here's here's the interesting thing about that. The series is so sprawling. I mean, it just it, it goes on for so many books. And even within a book, I mean, I think my favorite book in the series might be either the second book, which is the drawing of the three or the third book, which is the wastelands. And they are just really sprawling books. I mean, you just go from, you know, Roland fighting lobstrosities on the beach and getting his, his fingers cut off to Blaine, the mono. And in between, there's just so much stuff. I mean, they're going through the city of Lud, and they're going, I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. And, and, I mean, uh, some of my favorite stuff was in the second book when they're, going through the portals and, and, you know, um, the bit with Eddie and trying to double cross the mob bosses and stuff. And, and Stephen King just does these amazing. And I mean, I, I realize not everybody listening to this has, has read all the books, but Stephen King does some amazing bits that I've always admired where he takes this really fantastical premise and he grounds it. And in the, in the case of the second book, what happens is, is there's this doorway that can go to another dimension. And, um, it corresponds with this doorway in the bathroom of, of a mob boss who's trying to, to, to work this deal. And and so Stephen King is like, OK, that's a ridiculous premise. But let's say that that really happened. What how would this fight go down? And he just you know meticulously takes you through this. And it's exhilarating. Like when he's really on his game, it's amazing. And so I, I you know, I, I can't say enough good things about that. The interesting thing about. The book that I wrote, which is The Dark Tower, The Art of the Film, and the film, which just came out last weekend, and The Dark Tower series, which is the multi-book saga that Stephen King wrote, is that, as you as you will see from reading my book, they couldn't do the whole thing. Um, and I heard this from, you know, multiple people. I talked to, you know, Akiva Goldsman, who who was a producer and he was one of the writers. Um, I talked to several of the writers. I talked to the director. I talked to Ron Howard and Brian Glazer at Imagine Entertainment, who are the producers of this. And all of them are enormous fans of Stephen King. And they wanted to make the insane version of this saga. 
Um, I remember talking to Akiva Goldsman, and, and he's like, well, in the first version of the this movie, it started with um, Roland the gunslinger fighting a giant cyborg bear, <laughs> Shardik, from uh, one of the books. And that's where they want to start. They they had the TikTok man and the City of Lud and, and the Mono, and they had all this stuff. And the more and more they put into it, it was A, way too expensive, and B, it was almost impenetrable for people who didn't know what they were doing. I mean, when you compare this to something like maybe Game of Thrones, where you have a lot more, um, you know, you have a lot more real estate to sort of ease people into the, what the mythology is here. Maybe you have two hours and it was just really hard for them to do that. And so when you do see the uh, Dark Tower film and it's kind of an amalgamation of, of a lot of the books, what my making of book helps explain is how they arrived at the decision to do it that way as opposed to do it some other way. Um, because it wasn't like they, they, they weren't considering it. Well, well maybe we should ad- adapt the gunslinger or maybe we should just do the, the crazy cyborg bear stuff. And eventually, you know, through a, a long series, because they've basically been trying to get this movie made for well over 10 years, they kind of arrived at that. Like it was, a, it was a, a series of decisions that they had to make in order to make the current version. So it was very interesting to, to talk to people and, and especially the people who had the longest history with it, which included um, Akiva Goldsman and, and, uh, and Ron Howard. Yeah, I knew they'd worked a lot on that and they'd pitched an idea that was multiple movies with TV series in between. So I read a lot of that in this book. Plus I'd been following the making of this movie for as long as I can remember at this point. But you did all the interviews then from this? Yeah, I did. I, I talked to basically everybody. Like I said, I, I we never got actually Stephen King, but we talked to everybody else. We talked to all the stars. We talked to the director. We talked to... Um, and sometimes my favorite st- stuff, because I've done a lot of these types of books, I, I do the official making of for the Warcraft movie with Duncan Jones and, and uh, Man of Steel with Zack Snyder and... Um, uh, some Star Wars stuff and Ghostbusters. And a lot of times my favorite stuff is talking to the stars is cool and talking to the director is cool, but it's also really cool to talk to like the costumer, you know, or the, the special effects, uh, visual effects person or the set designer or the stunt coordinator, because you don't, every time you put together any sort of movie, there are an amazing, or the composer, you know, all these, these the amazing um, group of people who have, who are super talented, who have all been assembled on a journeyman basis. Like, all right, well, you're going to do this. You're going to do this movie for the next uh, eight months or whatever. And then we're going to cut you loose. And it's kind of crazy. It's like, it's like, they're, you know, it's like an old fashioned, like come to town and put on a carnival almost. Um, and these are like the best people. In the world, and you talk to like the costumers, or you talk to the uh, hair and makeup people and stuff, and, and it's fascinating uh, what they do. And um, that's it's almost my favorite part of doing this stuff. Uh, the The book that I did, the Dark Tower, the art of the film, because it's, a, it's an art book, focuses a lot on the art direction and the concept art and so on. But uh, whenever I work on this, I always like to give a shout out to the people who don't often get Academy Awards, like the stunt coordinator or the, the hair and makeup person or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I noticed that when I was reading the book, it pointed out a couple of things I wouldn't have necessarily noticed, like the Manny village there, how Stephen King described them as dressing like Quakers, but as you mentioned, the costume designer took it in a different direction that those are the kind of minor details that the costume designers have to do. They have to read the books and look for all of that to see where their king's mind was and then see what works best visually. I I did find that really interesting here. I'm curious, these art of books seem to be kind of in vogue right now. You know, there's they have them coming out for a lot of different movies. As you mentioned, you've done Warcraft and Man of Steel. It's very much a visual book. There's so many pictures with a lot of captions describing them. And then little chapters in there that do have these interviews and behind-the-scenes insights. How involved were you in the picking of the graphics that went there, and how much did you just kind of have to follow the fact that these are the images that are there and then write to those? Well, it's it's a there's a couple of stages in there. One is when I originally started this, I was just basically given a blank slate, like, hey, we're going to do this, and they sent me the script, and I read the script, and, and it was like, okay, well, what do you think you can do? So I came up with the outline of the book. And the outline of the book is the first part talks about the history of the Dark Tower. So how did Stephen King come up with it and, and you know, all the different versions and, and the books and so on and, and the inspiration of what the world is all about. The second part talks about Roland and the Man in Black uh, and also talks about Jake. So the, the, the three central characters of this film. The third part talks about Midworld, uh, so like the, you know, where they come from and all the, the alienness, so that's where they would talk about Manny Village and, and things like that. And then the, the fourth part talks about the our world, the Keystone Earth, uh, where they talk about New York and so on. And so I put all those together and then I said, here's what we want to cover under each one. And then I set about sort of researching and, and sort of laying out the corner of that. So the publishers then picked images according to that outline. So in that sense, I had influence over what the images were going to be because it was following the outline that I put together. But I didn't actually know which images uh, they were going to select until I got some of the page proofs back. And when you're working on a book like this, uh, if you're the writer, you also have to write the captions. So the pages would come back and they'd say, hey, here's what we're going to do. Could you go ahead and write the captions? And, And occasionally... There might be a couple of images where I'm like, eh, I don't know about that one, or I don't even know what that image is. You know, could we pick something else? But for the most part, I, I would go through then and and write captions based on that. And then they would, there's sort of a, a process where they might take something out and put it back in again. But it really is a back and forth. So usually the first part is, you know, do the outline and then write the manuscript. And then there's a extended part because I always feel like when I finish the manuscript, I'm done. <laughs> and on an art book, that's not true. <laughs> on an art book, it's like, nope, you have a long way to go, which is all the images are coming in. You have to review the images. You have to see if they make sense. And you have to write the accompanying captions for the images. And sometimes that can be tough because you've at that point, you've probably finished your interviews. So you can't necessarily go back to the art director and ask him, Hey, what do you think about this uh, crazy thing? What was that? Um, Maybe you can, if you're lucky, but not always. When did you have to finish this and send it off to be printed, given that the book came out at about the same time as the movie? Well, the movie was delayed. If you were following the development of this, I think it was originally going to come out like 
in the spring or February. It was going to come out really early. And so I started working on it like last, I don't remember exactly, but it was like maybe late summer, early fall. And it was like, we have to do this right now. Like we literally have no time to finish this. So, you know, I had like four weeks to like do the entire thing. And it was just so fast because it was coming out in, in February. So we had to do it really fast. And then after I had finished it for the most part, it was delayed. And then it was like, okay, well, good. We have more time to like do the captions and so on. But there's a bit of a hiatus uh, while they were figuring out the, the dates. And then we went back and some parts got revised. If you've seen the movie, there's um, uh, a scene with uh, Roland and his father that was added later in production. Like it wasn't actually in my first version of the, of the thing. And then they added that and it was like, Oh, okay. And we basically redesigned a whole section to include that. And so we had a re- redesign around images and so on. And there's various times where those kind of things might happen. Like that's a good example of something that was added. And then occasionally I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but occasionally um, I might write a description of a scene based on the script and they're like, yeah, we cut that out. You know, like that happens with every movie. And then like a, a whole paragraph, if you're lucky, or page or two, if you're <laughs> unlucky, will have to go because it's, oh, that wasn't in the movie anymore, you know? And so basically, yeah, that was that was the process. So we it was ex- extended. It was a really hurry up and wait thing because we thought we were going to have a much more dire deadline than we ended up facing. I thought that was some really interesting stuff that I noted when I was reading this is you're like, here's some art from a scene that was deleted from the final film. And that's, I love this kind of making of insight. You know, DVDs are sometimes less and less anymore, but sometimes have that kind of information. But to be able to get it while the film's still theatrical, I thought that was really great that you did have that knowledge of what was being cut from the film and included in the book. I just, I thought that up to the minute information, I I know there's a lag to print a book. So I thought that was really cool about this. That's actually really interesting because when that kind of stuff comes up, I usually want to keep it in. I mean, I I know you're you're talking about like there were a bunch of scenes and and like there was some scenes when Jake arrives in Midworld and I think he goes to the diner and so on. And so some of the stuff like that. And when I'm writing it originally, that's in the movie, right? Because the, all, all I'm working off of, of is a script. I haven't seen any sort of like cut of the, of the film. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm assuming all of this is in the movie. And then at some point after I've written it, somebody will come back and say, oh, you know what? That's not in there anymore. And my instinct, what I will try to push for, and it's not really up to me, you know, I'm just the, the guy, just the writer guy. But if the publishers and, and the studio agree, I prefer to leave those things in there, you know, like to say, well, to leave the pictures and and the description in there, but then to acknowledge that it is a scene that was cut from the final film, which we did in a couple of places in here, because I think it's fascinating, you know, as, as a fan of, of the movies to realize that all these things, just as much work goes into a cut scene as a final scene. You know, they, they costume, they, they have characters, they did the set design and all that. Uh, it's just, and then sometimes it's just gone, you know? And uh, I love to include those things. And in this case, we we're able to preserve a bunch of those scenes with that little disclaimer on there. So I'm glad you kind of picked up on that because the alternative was we just take it out entirely 
because it's not in the final film, but I always feel like a book like this has more value as a chronicle or a, a what if or, you know, a historia of the making of something. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, to go back to Star Wars, with which we're both familiar, when you see some of those documentaries, some of the rejected drawings for Darth Maul or General Grievous are just as interesting as the concept drawings that became the on-screen resemblance. And I see some of that here with the Taheen and some of that I just... I find that very interesting to see, yeah, the creation of. And I think when people see some of these art of books, they think it's specifically for artists and for designers, when in fact, the best of these are like making of books that have a very visual focus. And Yeah, and, and that's a real advantage of, I think it, earlier on, you said something about that there's sort of a renaissance for these art of books. And, and I think one of the reasons for why that is is because you know as a star wars fan you can probably remember back in the day like back in like the 90s or so there used to be books like a guide to the star wars universe i don't know if you remember that book. i do i own it <laughs> yeah there's this paperback book that was kind of like an encyclopedia and it had like these really you know kind of simple line drawing black and white line drawings and stuff and it was an encyclopedia basically it was an alphabetical listing of stuff in star wars and and what's interesting about that, I don't know if you ever like contemplated this, but that book was never going to appear again. There is no chance that that book will ever appear again in its form because there's no reason for it. You can go to Wikipedia and get all that information, you know, 10 times better, right? There's no reason. Back in 1994, there was actually a niche for that. Now there's no longer any niche for that. So the only reason why you would buy a paper book, you know, is either uh, you you sometimes you see very well packaged things where they have little pockets and you know it's like an interactive experience and and you can remove stuff and it has stuff that's glued on there and it, and it has folds and you know pop up books and 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 things like that that are kind of interactive. Yeah, the Star Wars vault and the Marvel vault and your own Jedi path kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or or any of these any of these really intricate pop up books or. You know, stuff. I've I've worked on things like the Jedi Path, and it comes in this this case, and you push a button, and it opens up, and so on. And and so those are kind of like toys or collectibles mixed with books. Then the other thing that you could do to make a a paper book have value is produce it really well, so it just looks beautiful. Like the paper is is beautiful. The image quality is crisp. Yeah, the you just like open it up and you page through it and the actual act of paging through it is luxurious it feels like you're luxuriating in the experience of reading it and if you look at the dark tower book that i worked on or or any of these other sort of books and you compare them to you know the guide to the star wars universe it's like they're on completely different planets because there's nothing that the old guide to the star wars universe does or did that isn't done better right now by Wikipedia, but a really beautiful behind the scenes Star Wars book, for example, has qualities that Wikipedia can't do. Right. You know, you actually are holding it and so on. And so I think that's the answer to your original question, which is why art of books are, are so much of a renaissance, because most of them are very visual. They are coffee table books. They're hardcover. And uh, they're the kind of thing where you, the the prose, the writing, the stuff that I work on is important, but probably less important than the selection of imagery. You're really like 
drinking in the the visuals of it. And that's true with uh, the Dark Tower, or it's true with any any of these other behind the scenes books. It's, it's fascinating to look at the visions of of other creative people. You know what else I saw this as filling the niche of though, and I'm, I'm just see what you think of this. When I was reading it, and this is honestly, I have a lot of the art of books, but because we were covering the Dark Tower movie and I was reading all the books, this is the first art of book I have read cover to cover. I've skimmed others, but I just, I got deep into this one. Nice! When I was reading it, I got thinking about Honestly, the 80s and 90s, where movies like this, this kind of genre cult film, would often have, and every so often you see it, but they're more kid-oriented, but the official movie magazines, right? I remember having it for Goonies in the 80s, and I remember (laughs) Jason Goes to Hell had one in the 90s. And it would have the kind of information you have here, which were, it was obviously a magazine instead of a very highly crafted book but there were the full page spreads and there were the behind the scenes interviews at the time and that's kind of the vibe i got off here and i'm like yeah i miss getting that insight through something other than just you know going to imdb and seeing what the latest 20 interviews are to have a, a edited and well written series of interviews that put the, together a narrative of the making of the film and to add all the visuals to it, it really it hit a sweet spot with me. Yeah, it's like all those like cinefantastique mm-hmm. issues. You yes, know? yes. <laughs> like those, they would they would really nail it. I mean you go back to some of those. Actually the the experience that really drove that home for me was when I, I wrote Ghostbusters, the ultimate visual history, which is came out uh, two years ago. I think it came out in uh, 2015. But it was, you know, the history of Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and the animated series and all the other uh, spinoffs of the franchise, uh, original franchise. And in order to sort of get up to speed on, on them, I ended up going back to a lot of those, what you're talking about, like those original articles and so on. And there was a, a fascinating making of book published Back in, you know, 1984 called Making Ghostbusters that had all these background stuff. But there were also a, a bunch of star log, you know, would do a, a, a behind the scenes thing or Cinefantastic or famous monsters of Filmland or, you know, like these things. And you would find these old articles and you'd read them and you'd be like, this is gold. There's so much in here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it was. And and it's the kind of information that almost gets lost because at the time, you know, I don't know what the circulation of these magazines was, but they were pretty, you know, they were they they weren't mainstream. This wasn't Time Magazine, you know. And um, then they kind of get forgotten. And when you actually find them, you're like, this is great. This is exactly what I need. They interviewed the guy who made the mask for the so and so, and he has some great quotes. So while. Uh, the Ghostbusters book is mostly new interviews with people where possible. I, uh, you know, I relied on those things that you're talking about. If, if they had a really amazing insight, I, w- I would absolutely uh, credit those. And I try to bring those to a new audience. So I totally know what you're talking about. Um, and, and I feel like that, I feel like that era is still here, but it maybe it's, maybe it's merging more into the, into these art, art of books, you know, with the uh, high, reproduction quality uh for better or worse yeah definitely i think for the better in this case i I was curious since you've been working on this book so long i know that 
there was a cut of the film that was screened back in October when they still thought it was coming out in February, and the results of that screening caused it to be pushed back. Did you get a chance to see any of the earlier cuts of the film? Uh, I didn't see any of the earlier cuts cuts of the film, but I did read an earlier script of the film, uh, which is pretty similar, but they kind of... they did change the ending a little bit, and uh, I don't know. I, I probably am not supposed to to like. <laughs> I'm probably under NDA, so um, I won't get into it. But they did change some of the elements. Like I said earlier, they changed the ending a little bit. The, the scene, like I already acknowledged, that the scene with uh, with Roland and and his dad, you know, when they're sort of on that battlefield, uh, was added uh, later in production than some of the other scenes. Some of the other things got kind of moved around or tweaked. Um, I think the battle stuff at the end, like sort of the fighting and that was expanded from the version that I read. Like there was more emphasis placed on sort of that climactic mano a mano stuff. Um, a lot of that, um, was extended from the original version that I read. Um, and like I said, the conclusion was kind of different, but I probably am not allowed to get into too many specifics, but there were some changes, not, not huge. I mean, I would say, you know, for the most part, 90% of it was pretty well intact, but there were some notable changes, um, between, you know, one version and and another version. And that's not unusual from movies that I've worked on in the past where, you know, there, there will be a version where because of the production time of producing a book, you end up with this, this situation where (laughs) you're like, I hope the final cut includes this and because it's too late to change it. So in this case, uh, we were able to change things pretty much up to the wire. We, we, we were, I don't think they went to press until a, a couple of months ago. And at that point, everything was locked. Being a fan of the books, I have heard the word unfilmable bandied about as far as King's original books and adapting them. And But when you were reading the script and starting to plan what you were going to do for an art of book, what was your initial reaction to the adaptation? They had a really tough time with it. And you kind of get into this as as you read uh, the book that I did, you know, the, the behind the scenes. Because when I read the script and being familiar with the overall saga, one of my biggest questions for the people who are working on Akiva Goldsman and, and some of the other people who adapted the script was, you know, how did you go about making the decisions that you want to make? And they really had a choice of two things. One was, let's just go in and just make it completely, you know, uh, to the wall crazy with, you know, the cyborg bear and, and the, you know, Blaine the Mono and, and the TikTok man and, and Eddie and Susanna. And we'll introduce all these characters. And that was totally in the mix at some point. There, that was what they're going to lead with. And the more they tried to get that version sold, the more studios were like, we have no idea what any of this is. <laughs> like, they, people are just getting lost. And they're like, okay, well, let's take it back. And so the other thing that they could have done was, we'll just do the gunslinger, right? And it'll just be, you know, the man in black, you know, fled across the desert. And the gunslinger followed. And and we'll just do that very, you know, severe, serious version. But it's like the first book of of the dark tower series. If you, you know, if you've read it, it's like, it's good, but it's like, it doesn't really become the series until the second book. And you're like, Oh, okay. I see how this, the first one is almost an an anomaly. So it's like, well, it would be weird to introduce audiences to the dark tower universe by adapting the first book straight. And so, you know, to be fair, I think that's why they came up with the decision that they did, which was let's try to introduce 
a lot of it. Uh, we're going to keep the focus on like a couple of characters, which would be Roland and Jake, like in the first uh, book. But we're going to try to introduce more elements of, of Midworld. And, and so, I, you know, that was kind of where in my conversations with people that was like uh, how they were trying to conceptualize it for, you know, within the strictures that they had, because it's a tough thing to do. And I know you said earlier about the TV show, like um, as far as I know, they're still developing uh, a television show that would probably be a little bit more focused on like Roland of Gilead. You know, like uh, as a gunslinger and, and during the gunslinger days and so on. And I, I don't really know anything about the, the show, but it is, you know, I was talking about Game of Thrones earlier. It's just one of those. It's a really hard property to find an accessible way in to explain it to people who haven't read the books, because most people, <laughs> the vast majority of people have not read the entire series or, or even one book of the series. Um, and so how do you go about kind of selling them on it? It's a, it's a tough thing. You know, it wasn't, I didn't have to solve that problem. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. And I did hear that they did announce the showrunner. Yeah. Last week as the movie was coming out, they announced uh, Glenn Mazzaro who worked on walking dead is the showrunner for the dark tower TV series. So no, that could be great. I mean, I, uh, you know, we've seen some really good, um, television series, I mean, I could just go on and on, but there are so many great long form television series. And, and I, I, you know, increasingly as you look at like the Marvel universe and you have, you know, your Avengers movies and so on, but then you have the Luke Cage or Daredevil or so, and so on. And, and it is absolutely possible to do world building on a more of a, uh, serialized, uh, stage. And this might do very well with that. Well, great. Well, Dan, is there anything that you're working on that you can tell our listeners about to keep an eye open for? Yeah, from the Star Wars standpoint, I just had a book that just came out just now, uh, which is uh, late July, early August, which is called Star Wars on the Front Lines, which is a hardcover book about the battles of Star Wars, the films and and the Clone Wars television series, uh, which was a lot of fun to do. And uh, later on this year, maybe October, November, I'm not 100% sure on the release date, there is going to be another, um, if you uh, are familiar with the Jedi Path, which is sort of this in-universe artifact that came in a special case I talked about earlier, uh, we are doing a new one of those, uh, but the premise is it's about the Rebel Alliance. It's called uh, Star Wars The Rebel Files, and it's sort of a rebel strong box and then within it is is this repository of communications that are vital to the uh chronicle the formation of the rebel alliance from you know mon mothma uniting all the different factions up to the outbreak of or the planning for the battle in balavendor in return of the jedi and it was really fun to do it it's a sort of a in-universe narrative uh told through recovered documents and so um if that sounds interesting please check that out it's called star wars the rebel files oh that got me excited because i just i know your work with the jedi path and all that how you are able to weave in so much and i'm thinking okay so you're starting back around the time of episode three and you've got the rogue one stuff the Rebels stuff i'm assuming that all of that's kind of weaved in there and then Mm -hmm. through the original trilogy Yep, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it starts off uh, before you know, the classic trilogy uh, includes a lot of Rogue One, 
because that makes sense. Uh, and then we go through the movies and so on. And it kind of ends right before the Battle of Endor for narrative reasons, um, because there's kind of like a, a little between the lines story about what, what's happening with various characters. And there's, there's a person who's sort of chronicling all these documents like an archivist. And so there's kind of a between the lines uh, narrative about what's happening to to different people that you can kind of piece together from reading all the documents. And it's, it's fun. It's just a, it's a fun thing. And I, I really like how it turned out. Well, that's great. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we can have you on over at Star Wars Action News when that comes out and talk about that one. I'd be happy to. All right. Well, Dan, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for the book again. I, you're right. It's just, it is gorgeous. And it, the cover, ever since you mentioned it, I've been sitting here touching the cover. It's it's almost <laughs> like velvet. It's just a really gorgeous book. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a velvety thing. Like I was like, I was touching it when I got the, my copies of it. And I was like, I love this. I don't know what it is. I don't know what material <laughs> this is, but it's, it's, it's tactile. So yeah, you're right. So thank you, Dan, for taking the time to talk to me about this book. I really did enjoy this book. As somebody who got really deep and did a massive deep dive into the Dark Tower, this was an invaluable read to me. And I think to fans of the Dark Tower, if you loved the movie, this book is going to be a great feature to enhance that. And even if you didn't, if you like Stephen King's books, I think there's a lot in here that's going to aid your understanding of how stuff went from Stephen King's 4,000-page magnum opus to a 95-minute movie. But overall, I want to thank Dan for his work on this book for raising my esteem of art of books in general and understanding that these are something I should do more than just purchase and flip through a few pages, go, that looks pretty, and put on a bookshelf. There's a lot of information here, and I hope that other art of books are as informative as Dan's. If you do decide to purchase The Dark Tower, The Art of the Film, I do hope you'll use the Amazon link from booksandnachos.com and help support our show using our affiliate links. And if The Dark Tower isn't your speed, there are so many art of books that, as I mentioned to Dan, I think function in this official movie magazine kind of way, albeit at a price that's about four times higher. But like Dan said, you're really getting a collectible and something special, something that you really should have in a physical format to appreciate the resolution and the size of these large books that are in the widescreen presentation as compared to things that you can do on your Kindle app on your phone. And I do promise I will get to reviews of King's prose novels for all of the Dark Tower saga in time. It took King 40 years from the time he put pen to paper for the first short story of The Gunslinger to the time The Wind Through the Keyhole was published. I'm not going to take 40 years to review all of his stuff, but I do hope you'll give me a little bit of slack on the time as you gave the author himself while writing it. But I am currently working on that Firestarter review and hope to have that to you in the upcoming weeks. And Stuart is also working on his books and nachos, I've touched base with him. He is still working on the rest of the Dune books, plus train spotting. So hopefully we have more books and nachos coming to you in the upcoming weeks. And I do promise you there will be one more books and nachos coming in November, no matter what. 
Twin Peaks, the Showtime series, is coming to an end. Stuart and I have co-reviewed every Twin Peaks book and the audio cassette of Diane. Well, as the Showtime series runs down, Mark Frost has Twin Peaks, the final dossier, coming out on October 31st. You can pre-order it right now, $13.50 hardcover, $9.99 for the Kindle. It's a shorter book, just 160 pages, but Stuart and I aren't going to let there be something uncovered. We will be coming to you in November after we've read this book with a final look at what may be the final bit of in-universe Twin Peaks ever produced. We'll find out about that later this fall. And as for Stephen King, if you're trying to read along with my reviews, I hope that you're pretty well done with Firestarter, I'm pretty well done with that review, then I'll be doing Roadwork and then Cujo. And a final reminder, if you want to read a book written by your Books and Nachos co-host Jacob Stewart, Marjorie, and I did Now Playing's Underrated Movies We Recommend. It's 125 movie reviews. The ebook will be available in the next six to eight weeks the audiobook shortly after that, and then a hardcover version after that. If you pre-order the hardcover, is the only way to get it signed by all four of us authors. You can find that at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this interview and this review as much as I enjoyed The Dark Tower, The Art of the Film. The next time I talk to you, I'll be discussing Stephen King's Firestarter. And in the meantime, please remember to support your local bookstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. You can also find many more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Books and Nachos is a crowdsourced podcast with no sponsors or ads. You can support our show by pledging to our Podbean campaign at booksandnachos.com support. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, provided by podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.